There's nothing more powerful in all the world than the cross of Jesus Christ. It represents the love of God and the justice of God. And our hearts, Lord, are stirred by the cross. But I pray that the message of the cross will be what grabs hold of us. The person who died on the cross will become our Lord and Savior. Then may we, Lord, compelled because of that amazing love, take the message of the cross around the world. We are coming up on a day we call Good Friday in which we remember the cross. And it can only be good because of the result. Father, may that good result be true in our lives, in all the lives of those who are present today. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, (laughs) amen. I didn't sign up for this. You ever heard someone say that? I remember years ago, uh, the army was trying to gain recruits, and so they had this slogan, "Join, join the army, see the world. And it sounded so romantic and so amazing. I don't get to travel much. I'll be able to see the world. I'll join the army. And then you go to boot camp. And you say, man, I didn't sign up for this. I thought it was just going to be a cruise. I remember I used to play high school football. And I loved the game of football. I loved all sports. But I I loved the game of football. And I was a receiver. I would catch passes. And I loved doing that. It wasn't fast, but I could catch the ball occasionally, and so I was able to play. But then we come to practice in August, and we have these two-a-days, and it's all about conditioning. And and then they had this thing called bull in the ring where you were against another player, and you had to knock each other's brains out. And I can remember saying, I'm a pass receiver. I didn't sign up for this. I play split end so I can be away from all the battles. I don't want to get killed. Then it's the wife who says to the pastor, she's come for marriage counseling and said, you know, when we got married, it looked so hopeful. I had the dream in my heart that we would be a wonderful family with kids and and everything would go well and he's never home, doesn't take care of us and he started beating us and I didn't sign up for this. Some of you are Christians, and you came to Christ, and there was that love and amazing forgiveness, and you're so excited, but then things get hard in the Christian life, and coworkers are persecuting you, and pretty soon you find yourself saying the very same thing. I didn't sign up for this. Well, I find a very interesting individual in the Gospels, a life that seems rather insignificant, uh, person who often is unnoticed, but I think this is his mantra too. I didn't sign up for this. The Bible tells us as we go through the gospel of Mark that Jesus suffered many things. In the garden, he suffered as he said, I am deeply troubled. I'm coming up to the point of death. I'm so troubled and burdened and filled with sorrow. And it's because he was going to be separated from the Father. He would become the sin offering for humanity. 
Jesus didn't say, I didn't sign up for this. That's why he came. But he suffered. In the Jewish trial, he suffered when they blindfolded him and they would spit on him and they hit him with their fists. And then in the Roman trial, he was flogged, barely recognizable as a human being, let alone the person Jesus of Nazareth. And again, they beat him with staffs and sticks and with their hands, and they mocked him. And then he had to carry his cross to Golgotha. Golgotha is the Aramaic word for the place of the skull. Some people think that that means that the hill around the place where he was crucified looked like a skull. And so when you visit Jerusalem, we'll go to Gordon's Calvary, and there is a mountainside that once looked like a skull, but through erosion and other factors, it doesn't look like a skull much anymore. But many Bible scholars will say, no, it simply means the place of the skull. That was the place of execution where people died. That's what Golgotha means. In the Latin, it's Calvaria, where we get the name Calvary. But from wherever Jesus was punished, probably in the Fort Antonio, all the way then out to the outside of the city, the route went through the city because they did their best when, they, when the Romans were crucifying someone to make it public. They would take the longest route sometimes, the most populous route, so everyone would see. There was no CNN in that day. You didn't catch the news by watching it on TV. You watched it performed in front of you. And we call it today, it's been popularized by the name the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering. And you'll walk through that road, and part of it might be the right road, part of it certainly isn't the right road, but you walk that road and you think of Christ carrying his cross, and something happened. We don't know exactly whether Jesus was so weak because of the prolonged beatings, but look at Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. Mark 15 and verse 21. There it says, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, who is the father of Alexander and Rufus, was just passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. And so here is Simon of Cyrene. This particular picture comes from that popular movie, The Passion of the Christ. But it's very possible that Simon looked a little bit more like this next picture because he was from Cyrene. Cyrene is North Africa. And there was a large population of Jews there who intermarried with Gentiles. And it's just very possible that this was a, a black African who was a converted Jew who had come to the Passover maybe for the first time in his life. And he was conscripted into one of the most amazing stories in all of history. Press ganged, some people might say. What can we say about this guy? What can we say about this man? What can we say about this moment? 
Well, let me mention several observations. First of all, this was what we might call a providential moment. Providential. If you're not familiar with that term, it, it talks about the fact that God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He's the one who controls events and circumstances in the life of human beings on planet Earth without violating human responsibility and personality, but somehow still accomplishing his will in controlling events. Providence. We read in Acts chapter 2 that wicked hands crucified Jesus, but he was actually given up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And so it was the providence of God that was overseeing all the things that happened. I think one of the best verses to describe providence is Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. And it reads like this. In his heart, a man plans his way or his course, but God directs his steps. Now, there's nothing wrong with planning. You just need to understand that your plans are from a finite mind, and your plans are being carried out by someone with limited control and power, right? So you might have a great plan, and the Bible's not telling us don't plan. It's just saying when you make your plans, remember God is sovereign, and sometimes providence is going to crush those plans and totally change them. And that's okay because providence is God at work. At work in your life and at work in my life and at work in the life of this guy named Simon from Cyrene. Notice this whole event of carrying the cross was unplanned. He was, as the verse says, just passing on his way. <laughs> it was not his purpose necessarily even to view what was happening. We don't know. He might have heard about, as everyone did in town, this person Christ was being crucified, but some didn't want to be there to see the gory ordeal. Maybe he did. We don't know. He could have even been a resident in Jerusalem, but my best guess is he's a pilgrim. And like every male Jew, longed one time in his life to eat the Passover in Jerusalem. Uh, the law said if you lived so far away, you didn't have to, to be there. But every Jew wanted to eat the Passover in Jerusalem. And so they would scrimp and save all of their life. It was the trip of a lifetime. And my best guess is he was that type of pilgrim making maybe this once-for-all trip. And he didn't expect this to happen. This was unplanned. But that's what providence is. Providence is God at work. Even Shakespeare in Hamlet has this very interesting couplet where he says, there's divinity that shapes our ends, rough-hew them how we will. Do whatever you want to do, you're but working around the edges. You're the rough hewing of it, but it's the sovereign God who shapes and polishes and determines the final end. So man plans his way, 
God directs your steps. Do you understand that? I say, yeah, I understand that theologically. It's just that when it happens, I don't like it. And I complain about providence. That doesn't mean you can't complain about what is unjust. Well, we should. It doesn't mean that we ought to pray that things would be different. Well, we should. Things are not as they should be in our world. We're praying for God's will to come and be done on earth, just like it's done in heaven. But none of that erases the fact that God works all things together for good. To those who love God, is that you? to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I want you to know that Jesus carried his own cross, at least for a distance. We read in John chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus was carrying his own cross, and he went to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And the Bible says nothing about him tripping, although it's very possible that the prolonged ordeal of suffering brought him to a place of weakness where he couldn't continue to carry his cross. By the way, the cross could have been the traditional-looking cross, much like we have behind me, with the uh, top part extending up, or it might have looked more like a T, with no extension on the top. If it was the longer cross, then it's very possible that uh, Simon came to help Jesus carry it. Jesus on one end, Simon on the other. And there's a whole lot of application we can think of devotionally about that, where uh, uh, we're not the ones dying on the cross, but we must carry the cross of Christ as well. He has called us to partner with him to get the message of the cross around the world. If you're a disciple, then you need to be a cross carrier, right? Daily, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. But if it was the T type of cross, then we're only talking about the cross beam, and maybe Simon ended up carrying that cross beam himself with no other help, the patibulum, as it's called, which sometimes can weigh up to 100 pounds. Either way, this is not something he planned. Usually there were four soldiers, and the cross bearer would be in the middle, and uh, they would drag that cross, as I said, a long distance all the way to the place of persecution. Now, please understand this. When they asked Simon to carry the cross, it was not a Roman act of kindness, because the word Roman and kindness are oxymoron to one another. The Romans didn't know anything of kindness. Oh, you'd find an occasional one. I suppose the centurions uh, sometimes display kindness in the scriptures, often do. But for the most part, this was not an act of kindness. I think the soldiers were saying, this is taking too long. And we've got lunch coming up. I've got other things to do. Let's hurry it along. Hey, you there. Come and help. And so it was something that certainly Simon didn't plan. Secondly, it was an unwelcome moment. Not only providential, but unwelcome. That is, it's not something that he desired. Notice what the scripture says. They forced him. It's a military term. Think of conscripted, drafted, 
impressed to do something that he did not want to do. You see, the Romans had legally the right to force someone to carry their burdens. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes an allusion to this very law. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41 says, If someone forces you to carry their burden one mile, you are to do what? Take it two. It's in that same section of Scripture, if they beat you on one side of the face, turn the other cheek. In other words, the idea is you're going to be persecuted, understand that, and respond with grace. So even though it's not right, express grace. And this is the law that was now being enacted by the Roman soldiers when they said to Simon, you there, get in there and carry the cross. (laughs) The guy's just passing in from the country. He's enjoying the Passover. This is not how he wanted to observe Passover. I'm sure he said, what, me? I don't want to. Boom, he's pulled in. And we don't know whether it's true in his situation, but this was a source of irritation for most Jews. They bitterly resented it. And not only was it uh, an irritation to them, it was humiliating. Because he was now connected with, identified with, a condemned criminal. Whether he wanted to or not. And that's where we see Simon. But something happened in the midst of the humiliation. If there was a bitter resentment in his heart, we don't know that. Certainly not something he desired. We have no idea whether he was a believer at this point. I suppose he could have been. But something happened to Simon. And I kind of think it happened when he was carrying the cross of Christ. Was it the fact that he saw his sufferings? Was it the fact that he viewed all that Jesus was going through and like many others knew he didn't deserve it? I tell you, the sufferings of Jesus Christ are like a magnet that compel many people to him Because although they know he suffered greatly, they realize that he was a righteous man and somehow that just gets them to the depths of their soul. And even many unbelievers look at Christ with a compassionate eye because he suffered so much for his cause. Was it the sufferings that God has noticed? Or how about a look? Again, we don't know this for sure. The scripture doesn't say. But can't you imagine Jesus Christ looking up and showing mercy, compassion, love to this one who was doing something he didn't want to do? John Newton, the great <coughs> excuse me, preacher and poet, the author of Amazing Grace, wrote another hymn. Listen to this. Actually, he wrote thousands of them, but this is, this is one that fits into our story. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his pain-filled eyes on me as near the cross I stood. 
Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me into despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I died so you may live. Maybe in the bitterness of that moment and the resentment and humiliation that Simon felt, he saw the look of mercy and grace and put his faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe, as this poem said, he lingered at the cross. At first, he just wanted to get the cross to Golgotha and then leave as quickly as he could and get washed up. But no, maybe something caused him to linger there. And maybe he heard the words of Christ that said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I tell you, the words of Christ on the cross are compelling. Right? Forgive them, the Roman soldiers. Forgive them, the Jewish leaders. That's exactly the message of the cross, forgiving those who don't deserve it. Aren't you glad that's the good news of the gospel? Because none of us deserve it either. I didn't nail him to the cross. Oh, yes, you did. Your sins did. Had I been there, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, you probably would have. Something changed Simon forever. And that's the last point I want to bring out. This was not only a providential moment, it was not only an unwelcomed moment, it became a life-changing moment. If you have noticed in our study of the Gospel of Mark, it is the shortest of the four Gospels, and it moves quickly. Mark skips over a lot of details, and rarely does he mention names, rather reluctant to do so, which ought to cause us to sit up and be startled that in this one verse, he mentions Simon, but doesn't stop there the father of Alexander and Rufus, he says. Now, Matthew and Luke also mention Simon, but they don't mention his sons. Why would Mark, when he normally is writing a brief account, intentionally put in the name of Simon and his sons? It must mean something. And I agree with Sinclair Ferguson, who said, Mark mentions his sons, Alexander and Rufus, which seems to indicate that they were well-known to the readers of Mark's gospel. And if so, had presumably become Christians. And the story of their conversion was perhaps so well-known that Mark doesn't have to give any details except Simon. You know Simon. He's the father of Alexander and Rufus. So they probably knew the sons better than they knew the father. Say, where are you going with all this? Well, Mark wrote his gospel to those who were in Rome. That seems to be a well-established point. It was written for Gentiles aimed at believers in Rome. 
Paul wrote a book to the Romans, right? And at the end of that book, and maybe you'll want to turn there just for a moment, at the end of that book, in Romans chapter 16, he spends a lot of time thanking people. A lot of people uh, who live there in Rome. I'll never forget the time that uh, uh, I was uh, a pastor in Pennsylvania and we had a visiting missionary come and it was just before the service. We were about ready to walk out on the platform and he says, Pastor, will you read for me a portion of scripture? I said, I'd be glad to. Uh, What do you want me to read? He said, read Romans 16. I said, absolutely not. Because there's like 25 different names here. (laughs) And names that I'm not familiar with. And unless... You spend some time working on this names, it's going to be one of the most embarrassing things of your life. So I said, absolutely not. So I made him read it himself. (laughs) And then when I preached the Romans, I took well over an hour and a half learning how to pronounce these names so I didn't look like a doofus in front of my congregation. But Paul's mentioning a bunch of people. Look at verse 13. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, Rufus is not one of the most common names. Where does he live? Rome. Mark meant writing to those in Rome, says Simon is the one who carried the cross. Now, you don't know Simon that well, but you know his sons, Alexander and Rufus. This may be the very same guy. And Simon's wife is mentioned, verse 13. His mother and mine. Simon's wife then would have become part of Paul's inner circle, one of the individuals who became close to the Apostle Paul and acted like a surrogate mom. Which means then that if Simon hadn't been converted, he probably did get converted, and his conversion led to the conversion of his kids and a new family in the faith which is amazing because in the weakest moment of Christ's life, his grace and mercy reach out to touch and save souls. I love that. Don't you? It doesn't stop there. Now, this is kind of guessing, but if you go back to Acts chapter 13, Actually, in Acts 11 and verse 20, it says that in the church in Antioch, there was a group from Cyrene, a group from North Africa that was a major part of the church, and they were very involved in missions. The church in Antioch became the first missionary church sending missionaries out. But if you look at Acts chapter 13, here's the very first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Verse 1, now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger is another word for a man from Africa. And Simeon is another way to say the name Simon. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's very possible that the dad ended up in Antioch and the sons ended up in Rome, but they were all about getting the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Bottom line is this. The cross is a life-changing event. It's transformational. 
And I've got to believe that this Simon guy who didn't plan to carry the cross and didn't want to carry the cross ended up having his life forever changed. Something happened to him that day. And my friend, something will happen to you when you see Jesus on the cross. When you see his sufferings and you hear his words and you know that they're aimed at your soul, The cross is not for Christ, the cross is for us. He didn't deserve it, but he died in our place. And I think Simon's heart was forever bound to the cross. By the way, there may be a Simon in here today. I didn't plan to come to church today, my wife told me I had to come. Or... I didn't want to come to church today. I don't want to be here, but my parents told me I had to come. Or for some reason, you came simply to see other Christians. Maybe out of curiosity, you're the Simon in the room today. It was an unplanned moment, but God's got other plans in store for you. Maybe he wants to change your life. There's a wonderful letter that comes from the pen of Harry Truman. When he was president, he wrote all kinds of folksy letters back home to his wife, to his mother. And he wrote one letter to his mother that goes like this. He said, I went to the White House to see the president, and I discovered I was the president. (laughs) He was kind of the reluctant president, right? Roosevelt dies, no one wanted Truman to be president, and turned out to be, in many respects, a pretty decent president. I went to the White House to see the president, and boom, I discovered I was one. I was the president. Maybe you came to church today to see the Christians. Boom, you discovered you're going to become one because of Jesus. He loves you so much he died in your place and longs to redeem your soul. So remember this. It was a providential moment. It was an unwelcome moment. And in the end, it can be for you a life-changing moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts today as only you can do with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that shows us we are sinners, with the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit that turns the light on in our minds and in our hearts so that we can see what we're like and we can see what the Scripture says about the love of God and the love of Christ so that we can see Christ hanging on a cross, but not just for sinners, for me. And that we can see the look of Christ to our soul. Lord, for that person who is here today who has never turned from their sin to trust you as their Savior and Lord, may today be the day where they say, Lord Jesus, save me. And for those of us who are believers, we play the role of Simon of Cyrene. For we are commanded to take up our cross daily and follow him. May that be so in our lives, we pray. 
Dismiss us with your blessing, with our eyes riveted upon the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.